You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. You got to be. It's about that life. I'm going somewhere. Y'all going to come with me. Amen. Listen. Saul found out that you got to be about that life. This is the last sermon in the sermon series that we have been exploring called When God Calls Your Name Twice. We looked at Samuel, and it was God's call to relate, and it was a revelation of God's plans. Amen? And then we looked at Moses, and it was a call to work. Amen. And it was a revelation of God's presence. Abraham, Abraham, a call to obey and a revelation of God's provision. Jacob, Jacob, a call to transform and a revelation of God's promises. Simon, Simon, a call to lead and a revelation of God's protection. Martha, Martha, a call to focus and a revelation of God's priorities. And now, Saul, Saul is where we are in Acts chapter 9. And we'll start out as we did in, in verse 1. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And when you see that word still, then obviously that means that this is not the first time that we have heard his name in Scripture, we see him uh, really at first in Acts chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen. Amen. <clears throat> and at that point, Saul was a different man than we know him when we, when we think about him as Apostle Paul. We think about the one who wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the Bible. You think about him as uh, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest apostles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews, and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, but that's not where he started out on his spiritual journey. He was at first uh, what I, who I would describe as senseless Saul. <clears throat> Amen. He's senseless. Why is he senseless? Because even though he has a zeal for who he believes are the things of God, he, 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 he has a zeal, but not according to knowledge. Amen. He has a zeal, but not according to knowledge. You look at uh, Acts chapter 7, and it says, um, when they're talking about the stoning of, of Stephen, that verse, there's a verse in verse 58 that says, uh, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Amen. And then verse 1 of chapter 8 says, and Saul approved of their killing him. And so that's where we first see Saul, someone who was very zealous again, but he was senseless. But he went to the high priest, it says in verse 2 of chapter 9, and asked him for letters to the synagogue so that if he found anybody that was a Christian, whether a man or a woman, he might take them to prison to Jerusalem. Saul was senseless. That's where he was on his spiritual journey when we see him in Acts chapter 9. But he was also a Pharisee. 
again, and he was the son of a Pharisee, and he was the student of Gamaliel, one of the most respected teachers of the law, if you look at Acts chapter 5, and he was trained and skilled in Jewish theology, and he knew the Jewish culture and language intimately. Since he was from Tarsus, he was also familiar with Greek culture and its philosophies. He was a Roman citizen, and he knew a trade, tent making. He demonstrated great leadership ability, and he was zealous, meaning he had great passion and energy and fervor for what he believed. But what I said was his most prominent attribute was he was actually senseless. Senseless to Christ and senseless to the people of Christ. And he was zealous for the tradition of his fathers. What you are jealous, zealous for, excuse me, is what drives you, what keeps you up at night, what you live for. Most people are simply zealous to fulfill the desires of their flesh. Saul was even in a worse state because he was doing something. He thought he was doing something <clears throat> for God. Amen? And so he was senseless, but Praise God, on his spiritual journey, he didn't just stay senseless Saul. Because in verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So he went from senseless Saul to in verse 3, he became smitten Saul. Amen. And he was smitten because God called his name twice. And Saul knew enough to know that if you can smite me and there's a great light and I fall from my mount as I'm, as I'm riding to Damascus, I'm on the ground. I don't know what is going on. It says there was suddenly a light from heaven. He fell to the ground and he heard that voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked the right question with some respect on it too. Who are you, Lord? You must be someone in a position of great authority. You, you're demonstrating great power, and you're, you're demonstrating your ability to change my, give, uh, uh, intercept my course. And so he had enough sense to say, who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's important. Because of all of the, the names that God could have used or God could have revealed, again, it was God the Son that responded to him. And he says, I am Jesus. Because Stephen in Acts chapter 7, in that long uh, 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 presentation that he gives as he is arrested, he says, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. So again, Stephen is letting them know the righteous one you have betrayed and murdered. And then he goes on to say, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, the title Jesus all uh, used many times when he was here on earth, the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. And then while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And again, the scripture says Paul was standing right there and approving. And so Paul knew who Stephen, Saul knew who Stephen was talking about. And so now you get to chapter 9, and this is, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Jesus, the one that Stephen was worshiping. I am Jesus, the righteous one that you that, that your people murdered and betrayed. I am Jesus, who was the one that Stephen said, look, the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of the Father. I am Jesus, who Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the one that you're going after when you're trying to kill my people. I'm the one. I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. Now get up <laughs> and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he has been smitten, and he was three days blind. I'm sure he's still confused. He's still working it out, uh, and he needed a coworker in the ministry, someone to come alongside him and to show him what he needed to see, amen, so that he could move out of the stage of being smitten Saul to being sighted Saul. Amen. There's, there's, in your life, you need to be that believer that shows others how to get from a place where they're senseless. And when they hear the word of God, that you could be, uh, that you could come alongside them and be a mentor to them and show them what God wants them to do. Amen. That's the importance of Ananias because the men were traveling and they didn't see anyone. Saul got up, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Again, he's, he's smitten and he's, and he's blind. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So, again, I love the fact that when you're smitten, that, that, that's, that's when you're thinking about or, or you've heard the word of God and your heart is open to it. And, and, and the scripture is telling us at that time that, that Saul was both praying and fasting. He didn't eat. Uh, he didn't eat anything, and he says, go there. He is praying. He is looking for an opportunity to figure out what's next. God told you to go. I, led by, I was led by the hand. It's been three days, but he's, he's praying, and he's, and he's thinking about what I need to do next. And he says, in a vision, he sees a man, that's you, coming to take him and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord. Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all that call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This is my, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Again, God tells that to Ananias. He hasn't told it to Paul yet. And so Paul is smitten. And then in verses 17 and ni through 19, Ananias comes to the house and he enters. And he places his hands on Saul. And he says, Brother Saul, 
He's already calling him brother because Ananias is a disciple, amen, and God has given him instructions about who this man is going to be, not who this man was, but who this man is and who this man is going to be. And he says to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you were coming. He sent me so that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eye and he could see again. He got up <clears throat> and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. He goes from being smitten Saul to sighted Saul to strengthen Saul. Amen? When you are converted and you recognize Jesus as Lord, with the help of other disciples, you should begin to strengthen yourself in the uh, things of God. You should be studying and absorbing and preparing for whatever task is ahead for you. And many people don't do that. They're, they, they remain babes, but the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, strong meat is for them that are of full age who by reason of use have their senses exercised that they might discern both good and evil. You've got to be able to move on from baby food to solid food. There is a strengthening process that has to ha happen. And for Paul, it happened very, very quickly because after he had been strengthened, the scripture says in the King James, I'm in the NIV, it says, and straightway he went out and preached Christ. Amen. Straightway, right away. He spent several days, but in verse 20, it says, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So Paul said, I, I might have been senseless at one time, but I'm a quick study. If, if once smitten and once I get my directions and I, and I gained a little strength because he spent several days with the disciples, it said, and then straightway he went out and preached Christ. And so he went from being senseless stall to, to smitten, to strengthen, to sold out. And he never looked back. But the Lord reveals in verses 15 and 16 what I read into your hearing already, the reason for the call. It was a call when he called his name twice. It was a call to suffer. Now, I know you don't want to hear this. But it's a call to suffer, and it's a revelation of God's purpose. Amen? A call to suffer. But look what, look what he said, because I know we can, we can get with this. We would like this. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. This is going to be a great man. He's going to stand before King Agrippa in Acts 26, I believe it is, and he's going to speak so persuasively that King Agrippa says, do you think you can convince me in this short period of time? To be, to be a believer, do you think you can convince me? Paul says, I hope I can, and everybody else that's listening under the sound of my voice. Amen? And so he says, listen, so we would get with that. He's going to be a great man. He is my chosen instrument to the Gentiles. Peter is going to lead the apostles, and he's going to be my instrument that's going to help uh, spread the gospel to the Jews. But Paul is going to be my one. But if you stopped it right there, it would have been perfect for you and me. 
But he says the thing that we don't want to hear, which is that I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Because even though there's going to be great glory for him, there will be great suffering. Now, I know you don't want to hear that. But if you're going to be about that Christian life, suffering is going to be a part of it. There's no way around it. And let's just, let's just read what the Apostle Paul had to, had to deal with in terms of being sold out, in, in terms of being God's chosen vessel to the, to the Gentiles. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, he says this, are they ministers of Christ? He says, I speak as a fool. I am more, and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prison more frequently, and death often. Of the Jews, I five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, and journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, which is the care of the churches. Paul said, I have gone through when he gets to the end of his life. And that's because God revealed to him that I will show him how much he must suffer for my Way back in the day, George Carlin, in his 1972 um, comedy special, Class Clown, talked about the seven words you can't say on television. And it was, there were seven uh, curse words that you, that you can't say, and, 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 and he mentioned those. And, and it sparked me to remember or to think about that there are seven dirty words, if you will, that you, you can't say on Christian TV. Amen. There's seven words that you'll very rarely hear. These, these are dirty words. And here are the dirty words that you'll hear. Sacrifice, holiness, responsibility, Submission, obedience, consequences, and suffering. Amen. These are words that you're not going to hear. These are not popular words. These are words that are banned in certain circles. We only want to talk about blessed in the city, blessed in the field, without talking about the fact that it says, if you do all the words of this law, you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. We don't want to talk about sacrifice. We don't want to talk about what it means to be holy or responsible or submit to God or be obedient. We don't want to talk about consequences, and we darn sure don't want to talk about suffering. But suffering is the word that we do need to talk about. And it's the word that the Apostle Paul knows best. You can't be about this life and not suffer. When you usually hear that, that phrase, it's usually because it's, it's, usually, it's usually because uh, somebody is claiming to, to be about that life. They're usually talking about street life. It's like he don't know. I'm about this life. If you're about this life, that means you, you've probably jailed 
or you're willing to go to jail, and you don't mind going to jail because you know you got just as many friends on the inside that you do outside that you'll still be able to do your thing. You know how to run a corner. You know how to you know how to get away from the police. You know how to hustle. You're doing all of the things that you do. You probably keep a strap or know where to get your strap, and anybody that is not about that life, you'll want to expose them and say, they'll rap about it or they'll talk about, about they, they're about that life, but they're really not. I've never seen them shoot anybody. I've never seen them deal any drugs. I've never seen them run a corner. I've never seen them do anything in the street. They're not about that life, but I'm about that life. Because there's certain things, if you're going to be in the street, that you have to do. You have to have the bona fides, amen. You got to have the experience. You have to have the credentials and the resume of the street. Now, we're not talking about the street this morning. We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about the Christian life. You cannot claim to be about this life and not have a resume of suffering. If you've never suffered, for righteousness' sake, not because of sin, past sin, and stupidity. Everybody suffers for that. Sin, past sin, and stupidity, those are the sure consequences when God says, whatever a man soweth, that shall he reap. We're not talking about that kind of suffering because that kind of suffering doesn't bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That doesn't bring about what God would intend for your life. I'm talking about that Second Timothy 3, yea, and all that live godly will suffer persecution. And I know we don't like to talk about that. But that's part of the package if you're going to be about this life. It's the impartiality of it. Amen. And what I mean by that is for those who walk this earth in relationship with God, there will be suffering. First and foremost, look to our Savior in Hebrews 2 and 10. It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for through whom everything exists, should make the captain of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Amen. You all are not you all are not with me this morning. You got to be with me. If Jesus suffered, that's why he said, if they persecuted me, surely they will persecute you. That's what he said in John chapter 15. And he says, look at, look at Hebrews chapter 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and it sat down on the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition of sinners to himself that you don't grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. But he has. He is the author and finisher of our faith, and he suffered. And John 15 assures us that if they persecuted him, then surely they will persecute me. And if you have not been persecuted, it's probably because you are not visibly associated with Jesus. That means you ain't about this life. Because if you're about this life, Eventually, just like if you're about that street life, eventually there's only two places that you end up when you're about that life. That's either in jail or in the morgue. Amen? 
Very rarely do you see somebody old in the game that has escaped all of the consequences of being about that life. And what I'm telling you is if you are visibly associated with Jesus, there's an impartiality to it. It's not as if you will get a special uh, exception for being associated with Jesus, doing what you're supposed to do for the kingdom, and never receive any suffering. Because if you believe, you will suffer. You got to stand firm in the face of suffering. And you should expect it just like you should expect that if you go outside, particularly at Circle Y Ranch, there's a couple of things that you can expect if you're outside at Circle Y. There's two things, really. One of which is more common, but if you've never seen it before, the second of which you have to inform somebody. It's if you're outside, you are going to be attacked by mosquitoes. But the second thing, you, you might not be, you're going to get attacked by deer flies. You said, I don't know what a deer fly is. You don't have to know what a deer fly is for somebody to smack a deer fly off of you. And that's when it's like, you smack somebody, usually because they're always in your head. And it's like, what was that? That was a, why'd you smack? That, that was a deer fly. You, you, you don't want to be bothered with that. Amen. That, that, that's, that's part of the package of being at Circle Y. You're going to have mosquitoes. And if you walk anywhere between the dining hall, the staff building, and then out to the rec field or to the sand dunes, the deer flies are there and the deer flies are coming. It's a, it's a fact of life. That's why you wear a hat. That's why you try to put on off, even though off to the mosquitoes and deer flies is on. They don't care about off. They don't care about deep wood off either. They eat that stuff for breakfast. But the deer flies and the mosquitoes are coming because that's just a part of it. Suffering is coming, beloved. If you are visibly associated with Jesus Christ, if you are doing kingdom work and doing what you're supposed to do, you should not look like, why are things happening to me? That's just like asking, why are the deer flies attacking me? That's just what happens when you're outside at camp. It cannot be avoided. And there is an impartiality to it. Nobody gets a special dispensation when they walk from the dining hall to the sand dunes. They attack everybody all the time. It's like, no, we're not going to attack him. He's been here so many years. We'll just leave him alone. No, that's not how that works. There's an impartiality to it. But also let me tell you the importance of it. Amen. The importance of it is God is at the center of it. Amen. God is at the center of suffering. Amen. He's not, he's at the center of it because God sends it and God allows it. Amen. A trespass, we already talked about that. He, 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 will, he, will, he will send that as the sure consequences of, of sin. But, but that doesn't bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But, but God, again, is at the center of your suffering. But that 
that is trespass, but also there's these other three categories you're very familiar with, truth, trial, and training. Those are the ones that bring about what, what God would intend. When you stand for truth, you stand for, uh, if you suffer for taking a stand for your faith, that's what God is very interested in. And if you never take a stand, then you can say to yourself, then maybe I won't suffer. But you have to stand for something, amen? When everybody is going the same way and they're talking about the same thing, you got to say, I stand different. I stand with Jesus. I stand for truth. And if you do that, the natural consequences are people will disagree with you, and they will begin to talk about you, and they will begin to try to isolate you. There are so many things that are happening in our society right now that we just simply as believers can't rock with because we're not about that life, not that life. We're about this life. And if you tell somebody, I'm about this life, I understand what you're trying to do, but I understand what the Bible is teaching. If you make that statement, trust me, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. But you're standing for truth. There's also trial, again, for the loftier purposes of God, like Job. Job didn't know what hit him or what was going on, but there was something that was happening in the heavenlies that, that, that Job had to participate in without even any knowledge of it. Amen? And God said, I, 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 have you considered my servant Job? And again, I've said it over and over. I just don't want God to ever consider. Don't consider me. I don't want to be considered. Not like Job was considered. Have you considered my servant Melanie? Like, ooh, no, no, don't consider me. No, I'm, I'm going to probably let you down. Don't, no, 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 don't come over here. Leave that alone. I don't need the trials of Job, but but, but God says, listen, I, 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 it's important, and God, I'm at the center of it. And the last, of course, is for training. You suffer, to, uh, you suffer for uh, the, the discipline that it, that it requires. Again, it's the chastening. It's the correction. It's not punishment. It's correction. It's training like a coach trains. Amen? You will suffer for your coach if you have to, if you have got a track coach and he says, this, we're going to run five 400s today and we're running them back to back. You will suffer. I remember there was, a, there was a baseball workout that Kyle participated in. There was a special program, whatever. The, the, the workout, it was at, Jay Heard might remember this too. It was over at Mount Carmel. I can't remember who was running it. But the design of the workout, the workout could not end until everybody throwed up. They had to throw up somewhere. It was like they're running you, they're doing whatever. There were these, and it was like, why are they all of these waste baskets, these, these garbage cans are all over the, it was in Mount Carmel's gym. They were all over downstairs. They were up on the track. Why? Because the design of the workout is we will make you suffer until you throw up whatever you ate or drank before you came in here. And the workout is not over until we do. That's suffering, but that's also training. Amen? And so trespass, no, truth, trial, and training. God sends it. God's allow, God allows it. But the beautiful thing is God sustains you through it, beloved, and God delivers you from it. God sustains you what? Through it, and then God delivers you from it. The apostle Paul said, there was this, this thorn in the flesh that he, that, that he had that he asked God three times to deliver him from. And God told him, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the Apostle Paul concluded, therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses for when I, and hardships and insults and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God sustains you through it. And God delivers you from it. In 2 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul, again, who is well acquainted with suffering. Why is he well acquainted with suffering? Because God said, I will, I'm calling him, and I will let him know how much he will suffer for my name. And if you look at Paul's life and his resume and what he went through, God's word was true. Paul says this, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. And sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt and received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. He said we were in some, some, some terrible circumstances where we despaired even of death. We thought that the best way to get out of these circumstances would be, you know what, if we just died, it'd be over. He said, but we set our hope on him who raised Christ from the dead and delivers us and continues to deliver us. God sends suffering. God allows suffering, but God sustains you through it, and God delivers you from it. And lastly, I just want to talk about the impact of it, the impartiality of it, meaning it happens to everybody. There is the, the importance of it, but then there's also the impact of it. The impact is this. You will learn obedience from it. You will learn obedience. Amen. Christ um, learned and, and we learned. And again, I don't want you to get the impression when it says in Hebrews chapter 5 and 8 that, that, that somehow Jesus was disobedient and then learn learn how to be obedient from that way because the scripture says son though he was he learned obedience from what he suffered it doesn't mean again it doesn't mean he was disobedient and he learned it just simply means that he experienced obedience by obeying amen he experienced and so he he was able to bear up under suffering, and because he was able to bear up under suffering, he experienced what it was to truly be obedient, and he wants that for us. He learned obedience, not only when we go through, but because he went through, we can learn from his position. We can learn from his experience. If you look at First Timothy, First Timothy, if you look at First Peter chapter Two, it says he committed no sin. No, verse 21 says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example 
that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And then it says in, in chapter 3, likewise, you wives, submit to your husbands. And it also says, likewise, you husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. That likewise is in the same way that Christ did. Learn how to be obedient, even if that means you got to shut your mouth and take the insults that are given at you. Just like he did, he suffered so that he could leave us an example. The impact of it is suffering helps us to be obedient. And what do you need to do more than anything in your life? You need to be obedient to the truth that God has revealed. Maybe if we took to obedience a little quicker. Maybe if we, we, we took to it like a fish takes the water, he wouldn't have to take us through so many twists and turns in our life to continue to get our attention, to continue to chastise us, to continue to allow us to, to, to be in a place where when we're suffering, because when we suffer, typically we try to stay close to the Savior. We got to figure this out, me and you, God, because this just can't keep happening. I'm not sure what's going on. He says, okay, but I need you to trust me. And when you want to trust him, that means he, you're usually going to stay close to him. Suffering helps you to learn and me to learn obedience. And we learn obedience from it, and we gain dependence from it. The experience of tribulation uh, endured works in us a desire, a greater desire for salvation and redemption. And, and Romans 5 even tells us that we joy in tribulation. Why? Because tribulation worketh patience. Ex patience worketh experience. And experience worketh what? Hope. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is a process that happens Suffering fills our hope with those experiences that allow us to know that God sees us, God cares about us, God can sustain us through it, and God can deliver us from it. We will learn how to be dependent. We will learn obedience, and we'll gain dependence on God until we get to a place, how it says in James chapter 1, that we can be mature. Consider it pure joy, brethren, when you face trials of many kind. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance have its what? Finish its work <clears throat> so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is not popular. I promise you, in Houston today, at the Compact Center, where Joel Osteen is preaching, I promise you, I don't, I've never, I promise you, he's not talking about suffering. I promise you, suffering's not. That's not. That's not what TV preachers talk about. They, they, it's like it's going to be. It's your season for blessing. I can guarantee you that. 
Now, if you want to go down and hear about the season of blessing, now you, 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 I guarantee you, if it's not today, it'll be last week, next. It's going to be sometime this month, it's going to be your season. And God wants to bring you out, and it's blessings, 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 blessings. But not if you're in the book. God told Paul, he's my chosen vessel to the Gentiles, and I am going to show him. As great as he will become, how much he will suffer. In the kingdom, there's great suffering, and then there is great glory. And we see that from the captain of our salvation. He suffered greatly, even to the shedding of blood. That's why his name is the name that is above every name, because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The road that he took for us to glory was through the suffering of the cross. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He suffered. And the Apostle Paul says, I suspect that the suffering that we will deal with will not compare. Y'all <laughs> will not compare to the glory that will be Revealed. He says that in Romans 8 and 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He's saying there's great suffering that we'll deal with, but there's a greater glory. He also said in 2 Corinthians, for our light affliction, which is just is but for a moment, worketh for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. As we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul said this light affliction. This is the same cat that said, I've been cast aside to see, I've been whipped, I've been beaten, I've been naked, I've been doing all this. He said, that's light work because I'm about this life. And this life, this righteous life, this Christian life, this kingdom life includes suffering. But it's light affliction when it's compared to the glory that will be revealed. It's a call to suffer, but it's about God's purpose. He wants you and he wants me to truly be about this life. And if we're about this life, this Christian life, this kingdom life, we will bear the marks and experiences of those that suffer for his sake because we suffer for truth. We suffer, be we suffer because we stand with him. We suffer because that is how he did it. And he left us an example of how we can get through it. He will deliver us from it, and he will sustain us through it. Father, in the name.